Make me a servant filled by your might, and may all our labors shine with your light. Show us your, your footsteps and what we should do for now and forever. Make us like you. You can stand and join us. the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Well, good morning. You know, I love that song, and I'll tell you why. When I sing that song, I can see in my mind's eye uh, a dusty road in Jerusalem and the heat of the day like the heat of Tucson, and people sweaty and robed and coming in to sit down, and Jesus coming in with a towel and basin to indicate to those whom he loved what it was to be a servant. What a precious, what a precious song, and what a precious truth that we are to be servants of the living God and one another. And this church embodies that. I, I am so delighted with that. So I am delighted that we have, drum roll, us women have been waiting all summer, and finally Tuesday Bible study begins. And I am thrilled and excited about the upcoming year. We've got wonderful leaders for the class. Uh, I think that the material, at least I am, <laughs> like over the moon with the material that we're going to be uh, going through and God has just been has been providing as I as I continue to dig and continue to stand before him it's like little lights go on those remas come and I am so excited about the upcoming year I'm excited about the women that are coming please be in prayer for our women um, we're going to have a lot of new women joining us please be in prayer for them that the Lord would just bless them. And um, if they haven't been in study, which I don't, I think that we've got some people that have not, that we start praying for their, them and for uh, what God's gonna do with them this year. So I'm very excited about that. Father God, we praise and thank you for this brand new day. What a joy that you have given us to 
come together in this place where the windows of, of, the, of our church look out on the power of your mountains and the beauty that you have created. What a privilege it is to come here, to stand in, in the presence of your great and marvelous creative power. And we thank you, Lord, for the gathering of your saints together today. We ask that you would bless Pastor Ray, that you would open his mouth with the message that you have given him for us, that our praise might, might reach to the heavens, that our prayers might be incense on your throne. We praise you and thank you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. As we tap into the excitement that Linda has, wait till you hear this devotional. Don't be discouraged by what you see in the headlines every day. God is at work, and someday Christ will rule. Many people are asking, where is history heading? And a careful study of the Bible will see that God controls the clock of destiny, admits the world's confusion, God's omnipotent hand moves, working out his unchanging plan and purpose. Not that we always see his hand at work. As the old English hymn writer wrote, God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. God is not absent. By his providence, he sustains us, and behind the scenes, he is working to bring his divine purpose. What is that purpose? Paul recorded it this way, that he might gather together in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Someday Satan's rule will be ended and Christ's reign as Lord over all creation. Someday all sin and rebellion of this corrupted universe will be destroyed. Amen. Amen. Christ's kingdom of righteousness and peace will reign and rule forever. Amen. Amen. Don't be discouraged by what you see in the headlines every day. God is at work, and someday Christ will rule. The hope for today, many will be surprised at the way it all plays out. God's people will not. We know that this world and everything in it will pass away. Let's live in a way that lets Christ know that we are expecting him. Amen. Amen. Yeah. 
Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. He comes along and confines you in prison and convenes a court who can oppose him. Surely he recognizes deceivers and when he sees evil, does he not take note? to read from Philippians 3, 20 through 21, but our homeland is in heaven where our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ is, and we are looking forward to his return from there. When he comes back, he will take these dying bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer all else everywhere. Amen. Now join me in prayer, please. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day and for this opportunity to come before you to pray. To pray for the needs of this church, those listed on our prayer page, and for unspoken requests. May your will be done in each circumstance. Father God, may your will be done in all things. We just thank you and praise you, and we ask all of this in your Son's holy, magnificent name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's good to see all of you this morning. I'm going to read Psalm 121. If you follow along. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he, keeps it, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord will preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Amen. Um, if you'd like to stand, we can do the Lord's Prayer today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Thank you. 
reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn away from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If you join me now in the responsive reading. 
perfect light of revelation, as you shown in the life of Jesus, whose epiphany we celebrate. So shine in us and through us that we may become beacons of truth and compassion, lightening all creation with deeds of justice and mercy. Amen. That was a tricky one because it started off with everybody doing it. <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all, master of the universe, Lord, we, we know that everything came from you, that all creation was set forth because you spoke it into being. And Lord, you know that it, we know that you're shared with us, that you allow us to be part of that kingdom. But you do call us to share back our talents, our skills, our assets, just whatever we can to help more come to know you. So Lord, we ask that, that the things that we give and the, and the gifts and talents that we share are done openly and with the hope of bringing others to know you know, or to just know you better. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. As a youngster, I always wondered how the, uh, the old folks could talk about worshiping before the throne for a thousand years. But even a thousand years would just be a moment. I look forward to that. We're continuing in our catechism this morning. And I have a surprise for you. We're going to borrow from the Baptist catechism. And I know you're thinking, I didn't know the Baptist had a catechism. Well, God bless John Piper. He has basically rewritten the Westminster Catechism and did an excellent job. We will borrow from that. The title of my sermon this morning is Children of God. This is a continuance, part five, and it is entitled The Joy of the Lord. My text this morning will be Philippians chapters 1 through 4 and Nehemiah chapter 8. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before you this morning. All that we ask is that you speak your word. Open our ears to hear our souls to receive, our eyes to see, all that you would have for us this morning. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're familiar with Alistair Begg, he is a pastor in Cleveland, a very respected theologian. I love his Scottish brogue. He has said this, the return of Jesus Christ is an absolute certainty. It will be personal, visible, cosmic, and glorious. Have you thought about Christ's return as cosmic? Think on that for a moment. Cosmic means the entire cosmos will see it, feel it, hear it, all 300 billion galaxies. But this has happened before. God's arrival on this planet has happened before. And in glory. Think back to God's arrival on Mount Sinai when God delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses. Sinai shook covered with clouds, with lightning. Scripture tells us that the trumpet of the Lord actually sounded more like a ram's horn, but it was trumpeting nonetheless. It shook the whole earth and the Israelites said they could see the sound of the voice of God. The Hebrew actually translates they saw the voice of God. 
I've been privileged to do quite a bit of travel. I worked for a company for 10 years that sent me all over the United States. It was really a privilege. I got to see the United States on somebody else's nickel. But it afforded me quite a few uh, air miles. And you know how I love to scuba dive. I spent a lot of time diving the Caribbean. And I always flew American, and if you went to the Caribbean on American, you had to go through San Juan. Well, San Juan, like so many smaller entities, their public airport is actually part of the military's uh, operation. So uh, <clears throat> I was waiting for my rental car, and that just happened to be maybe 25 yards from a chain link fence that separated the public airstrips from the military's airstrip. And this particular day, an F-15 fighter jet was taking off less than 100 yards away. It shook the earth. I, uh, I, I can relate to seeing a sound from that experience because that sound obviously drowned out every other sound. It reverberated through my entire being. But as he, uh, it was a short airstrip and he kicked in the afterburners on takeoff. And I could see the sound in the flames of those afterburners. Hopefully that'll help you comprehend what the Israelites saw. They saw the sound of God's voice. Do you realize that God verbally spoke the Ten Commandments to Israel from atop Mount Sinai? Go home and read it this evening. Exodus 20. Not only did he speak the commandments, but he explained them to them with his own voice, from his own mouth. They heard it. God does the very same for you and me. He speaks to every cell of our being through his Holy Spirit. Whether or not you hear it, whether or not you sense it, respond to it, or allow yourself to be glorified by it, it's all up to you. And speaking of trumpets and the voice of God, Messianic scholars believe that Jesus will return during the festival of trumpets, Yom Turah. And think about it, why not? Think of all the references in Revelation, indeed through the entire New Testament, involving trumpets and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yom Turah literally means the day of blasting. Blasting trumpets. But in Israel today, if you ask a Jew, go out on the street and ask any Jew, when is Yom Turah? They'll give you a blank stare. 
They have no idea what you're talking about. In Israeli society today, Yom Terah has been replaced by Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. It has been totally absorbed in Rosh Hashanah, even though the date of the Jewish New Year is two months apart from Yom Terah. The Jewish New Year is mid-September. Biblical Yom Terah is in October. But even the most orthodox Jewish scholars cannot agree on when in October. This is largely due to the confusion of trying to reconcile biblical history with two different calendars, the Gregorian and the Jewish lunar calendar. And this confusion dates all the way back to the Babylonian captivity. In modern Israel, rabbis have allowed Rosh Hashanah to completely absorb Yom Terah. And the traditions of Yom Terah have been amalgamated into Rosh Hashanah, such as the sounding of trumpets to initiate the feast and ten days of repentance. Yom Terah has been all but lost to Jewish history. It was not mentioned even in the Talmud until 200 A.D., Orthodox Jews today celebrate two different days for Yom Terah because no one is sure of the exact date. Messianics believe the fact that Yom Terah is so obscure and overlooked by most of Jewish society that that is why Jesus will return during this feast when no one expects him. Therefore, the lesson to learn from Yom Terah is to always, always be ready. No man, not even the Messianics, know the day or the hour, nor do they know the year of Christ's return. But we are given to know the season, Matthew 24. Many Christian scholars agree that Jesus will return on the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Terah. But let me stress this point to you. Yom Terah has absolutely nothing to do with the rapture of the church. It's all to do with Christ's second coming. Unless, of course, you believe the rapture and the second coming are the same thing. But my question for us this morning is this. Are we sitting in our easy chairs watching the 6 o'clock news fretting and anxious about all the upheaval in the world and saying to ourselves, man, I hope the Lord Jesus comes back soon. I hope he takes us all to heaven before things get really bad. Well, guess what? Virtually everywhere else in this world, it's already really bad. Ask the Nigerian Christians. And I think it's going to get really bad here in America and soon. And guess what? A new president and a new Congress is not going to save us. When the U.S. dollar is replaced as the world's default currency, America will instantly be Venezuela. 
And I don't care how much money you've invested in gold and silver. Life is going to get very tough. Especially if you're a Christian. But you and I are not called to march in place, hoping for the rapture. We're supposed to be outside these four walls, actively pushing back the darkness. We're supposed to be the army of God. We're supposed to be singing onward Christian soldiers as we carry the fight to the enemy. In God's army, and that army is comprised of those of us who call ourselves Christians. In that army, there are three essential qualities to make a good soldier of the cross. Joy, enthusiasm, and courage. Let's start with joy. There's a caveat concerning joy. You can't achieve enthusiasm and courage without joy. This world knows nothing about joy. They use it interchangeably with happiness. And there's a chasm of difference between happiness and joy. Because joy is temporary. Very temporary. Happiness is a summer day in Tucson that's under 100 degrees. But we know that won't last. Joy is eternal. Joy lasts forever. But I want to give you some more history on Yom Turah, the festival of trumpets. So how much do you remember the story of Nehemiah? Let me give you a refresher. The story of Nehemiah centers on the Jews' return to Israel after several decades of exile in Babylon. God has caused the Persian king Cyrus to issue a decree in 538 B.C. that the Israelites could return to their homeland and rebuild their sacred temple. About 50,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem at this time. But the local Arabs and other neighbors have uh, resettled Jerusalem. They've taken it over and they're none too happy to see the Jews return. And they resist the Jews' efforts to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple. In 538 BC, the Babylonians have been overthrown and by the Persian Empire. Forward 60 years, and Ezra escorts another several thousand pilgrims back to Jerusalem. And he soon learns that the priests and the leaders have intermarried with pagan women. Even the Jewish leaders and priests have forgotten God's law. So no marvel that so have God's people. So Nehemiah is faced with oppositions from the neighbors who have renewed their hostilities against the Jews and he's also dealing with a backslidden Israel who has forgotten God. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, God has helped Nehemiah establish his leadership among the people and create a socio-economic revival 
in Judah. October 445 B.C. Nehemiah has finished rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and the people want to celebrate. Guess what? The Feast of Trumpets. Yom Tovah. And during the festival... Ezra the scribe stands before the people and begins to read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses. And something beautiful happens. Slide one, please. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. As Ezra's reading the law of Moses, the people began to weep. The Holy Spirit convicts their hearts. We've forsaken God's law, and they are truly penitent. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people telling them, Hush, don't weep for this is a sacred day. The priests are telling the people, let's not focus on the past. Let's renew our fellowship with the Lord. Let's rejoice. Let's be joyful, for the Lord is gracious. So the people went away to eat, drink, and at a festive meal to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. You can't understand God's word without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you don't find joy in reading God's word, you're doing it wrong. If you don't hear God's word, if you don't feel either conviction, encouragement, or both, you're not asking the Holy Spirit to help you hear and understand God's Word. Don't ever sit down to read God's Word and not ask the Holy Spirit to make the ink come off the page, to make the ink come alive in your heart. This is called rhema. The Greek word rhema means utterance, God's utterance, God's voice. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, God actually speaks to us just as he spoke to the Israelites on Sinai. Listening to him speak, listening to his utterance imparts joy. The joy of the Lord is found in his word. If your joy tank's empty, get into the word. Get deep into the word. Our joy is our fellowship with God, and that is never more intense than when you're reading God's Word. This joy is eternal. This joy has already been deposited in your spiritual bank account. And you can make a withdrawal from that account 
any time you wish. So why do we live so much of our lives destitute of joy? If you're destitute of joy, you're not in the Word. Now let's talk about enthusiasm. Slide two, please. Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 7, from the NLT. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Actually, the reference to slaves here is indentured servants. And if you're still working, you still have a job, you have a boss. And you are essentially an indentured servant to that boss or that company. And God's word says, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Do you see yourself as a slave to Jesus Christ? Okay, an indentured servant to Jesus Christ. If not, why not? He became a slave for you. We learned this last week, Philippians 2.7. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. Do you know where we get our English word enthusiasm? It comes from the Greek phrase, ein theos, which means full of God. If you're truly full of God, you have enthusiasm. It's a package deal. Most of you here this morning remember the name Eugene Ormandy. He was the conductor of the Philadelphia Philharmonic. His uh, contemporaries of the day were Leonard Bernstein and Arthur Fiedler. Eugene Ormandy conducted with such enthusiasm that he once dislocated his right shoulder conducting a dramatic score of music. That's enthusiasm. Most of us can't relate to that kind of enthusiasm. We don't have a hook big enough to hang that hat on. I don't believe Jesus was ever morose or stoic. He always had a smile on his face and a song in his heart. He emitted enthusiasm. This is why children were always drawn to him, always mesmerized by him. If you notice, children are never attracted to a curmudgeon. You remember Jeff Dunham, uh, his uh, character Walter? Children are never attracted to that. But they flock to someone who's full of enthusiasm. They instinctively recognize courage. And if you want to talk about courage... There are few in the Bible who compare to King David and his mighty men. Among his mighty men were two. One who slew, stood in a field by himself with just a spear and threw, slew 300 men in one day. And another who slew 800 men 
in one day. That's fighting with the Spirit of God. Most scholars would agree that David was forced to hide from King Saul for about seven years. Imagine being on the run for seven years. And in those seven years, David spent a lot of time hiding in the caves of Adullam. And one day at Adullam, David thoughtlessly mutters to his troops, Oh, what I would give for a drink of water from the well of Jerusalem. Excuse me, Bethlehem. And at this time, the Philistine army had decided to camp in the valley of Raphaim, not knowing that David and his men were hiding in the caves above that valley. At this time, there was a detachment of the Philistine army occupying Bethlehem. But only hours later, after David had uttered this, Adino, Eleazar, and Shammah approached David and presented him with a skin of water drawn from the well at Bethlehem. And how did David react to this incredible act of courage? Slide three, please. Second Sam, chapter 23, verses 16 and 17. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who have risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink. Courageous is as courageous does. This is no doubt the most precious gift David ever received from these three men. And these three men were his very own private guard. They had risked their lives to please him. We live to please our master. But the joy of the Lord, to have the joy of the Lord, you have to be full of God, ein theos, before you can act with enthusiasm and courage. You may have wondered uh, why I snuck out so early last week. I was invited to... Uh, administrate an ordination of two friends I've known ever since I came to Tucson. I asked the Lord, what should I pray over them? And the Lord very quickly answered, anoint them with oil and pray for them the joy of the Lord. You don't have to be an ordained minister to minister to people in the joy of the Lord. But I'll promise you this, the joy of the Lord is how you minister. It is what you minister. In summary this morning, I want to share with you from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians is called the Thesis on Joy. And he wrote it from a Roman prison chained to a Roman guard. Paul had deep affection for the Philippian church. You'll note that he does not criticize or upbraid the Philippians once in four chapters. Slide four, please. Philippians 1 through 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with 
joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Paul uses the word joy 16 times in just four chapters. He was truly thankful for the fellowship he enjoyed with this church. Truly thankful for how they had loved him and supported his ministry. Slide five, please. Philippians 1.6 And I am certain that God, who began this good work within you, will continue this work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. I believe it was the first class I took in seminary. My instructor, my professor, scribbled that on the chalkboard. Philippians 1.6 he said, folks, memorize this. Memorize this. Make it your mantra. Verse 13. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and are boldly speaking God's message without and who was the palace guard? The Praetorians. The Praetorian Guard. These were Caesar's Navy SEALs. They were the best of the best. But Paul didn't uh, see his chains as anything but an opportunity to fearlessly evangelize Caesar's best. While imprisoned in Rome, Paul was held in chains by a guard attached to him 24-7. They would uh, switch out every six hours. Six hours is plenty of time for Paul to preach the gospel to every last one of them. And many of Caesar's guard believed on Jesus Christ. So what was Paul's mantra for living out his joy? Slide six, please. Philippians 2.12 from the message. Be energetic in your life of salvation. Reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy. An energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what he will give him what will give him the most pleasure. Working and willing in you what will give him the most pleasure. Remember that sentence. Philippians 3.1 from the NLT. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Rejoice in the Lord. You want to safeguard your faith? Rejoice in the Lord. Do it often. Slide 7, please. Philippians 3.13, again from the message. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this. 
but I've got my eye on the goal. The King James says, my eye on the prize. Where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. Sounds an awful lot like enthusiasm. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Slide 8. Philippians 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say again, rejoice. King James, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank Him for all He has done. Those are words to live by. God loves a thankful heart. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Slide nine, please. And this brings us to our catechism question number six. What is the joy of the Lord? Answer. The joy of the Lord is when I comprehend that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. Thank you, John Piper. What does it mean to be satisfied in God? St. Paul gives us the answer in Philippians 4 from the Living Bible. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether it be a full stomach or hunger, plenty or want. For I can do everything. King James says, I can do all things through Christ. I like this better. I can do everything God asked me to do with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. What Paul is saying is, you can be completely satisfied with your life right here, right now, every moment of every day. You can be perfectly content in Jesus Christ. Regardless of how little money you have in the bank, regardless of your failing health, regardless of how far your children are from God. You can be free of worry if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be satisfied in God. To be satisfied in God is when your wants are no longer at the top of your prayer list, but rather the needs of others. When your wants are all about God and His will for your life. Let us pray. 
Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning, help us get our priorities straight. Help us see as you see. Help us love as you love. Give us the fervor, the emotion of your love and grace. And help us minister that to everyone we meet this week. Make it so, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare for communion, I have a passion statement. Some years ago, a newspaper carried an article with this headline, Crosses make big fashion, make a big fashion statement, it noted. Crosses are dangling from the necks of celebs and models in parties, pictures, or in all kinds of events, formal and casual. The bigger, the better. Said one jewelry designer, crosses have been part of my repertoire from the get-go. I've always loved crosses because I think they make such a big statement in fashion. Consider what the world has done to the cross over the years. When we hear of someone desecrating a religious object, we typically think that they have soiled or damaged it in some way. But the world has desecrated the cross by prettying it up, making it attractive and trendy, and usually Christless and bloodless. In Jesus' day, the cross was anything but a fashion statement. The last thing one would do with the cross was wear it as a piece of jewelry. The cross represented the worst, the most agonizing form of death that one could experience. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals. The most shocking thing people heard Jesus say may have been, take up your cross and follow me. In 1 Corinthians, Paul spoke of Christ crucified as a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Here at Communion, we remember that the cross really means and the timeless message it communicates. The cross is a passion statement rather than a fashion statement. It continues to declare the passionate love of our Heavenly Father for sinners and his son's passionate willingness to die so we can be forgiven. When Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, was released in 2004, it was rated R, meaning restricted, and that anyone under 17 needed to be accompanied by an adult. This was because of the amount of bloodshed and violence displayed, not only at the crucifixion, but by the Roman soldiers' extremely brutal flogging of, the, of Jesus. Crucifixion was repulsive and disgusting, but so is sin in the sight of a holy God. 
That is why highlighting the cross is a passion, not a fashion statement. It is so important. The cross truly deserves to be rated R for redemption and for rejoicing. When Jesus paid the ransom to set us free from our bondage to sin, and he rose from the grave victorious over death. Invite everybody to the communion table today. Again, this is not a Presbyterian table. It's not a Cumberland table. It's a table for all those who believe and cherish the Lord. And we invite you here to the table. When you come up to the table, please come up this way. I'll have the bread. Kathy will have the, the cup. And take the bread, eat the bread right away, and take the cup back to your seat, and we'll partake together. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. <laughs> 